0: And welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart joining me on this episode of movie Go Round. Nicole Davis, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I had a I had a good time. I was I've watched this movie several times. I own it on Blu ray. I watched all the special features. I watched the movie. I had a grand old time. Can't wait to talk about it. Let's go.
0: I'm shocked that I'm not the one that brought this movie just because it was so me. Like Everything about this movie filled my heart with such joy. Uh, David Luzader, how are you?
2: Uh, I'm doing good, you gobshite. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. It's
0: uh, bollocks. Yeah.
2: Bollocks. Okay, by the way, did, did anybody else watch this movie with captions? I watched it on Google Play, and the captions spelled bollocks, B-O-L-L-I-X. Bollocks. That's not how it's
1: spelled. <laughs> Right, <laughs> yeah. here are a few
2: a few phrases, and I'm like,
0: "That's not how you spell that." Um, the but captions are helpful layer. for the, at least the beginning, though. So I, because oh, this 100%. week, this no, week was, is new to two, not around the world, though, which is interesting because typically that's something that we talk about <laughs> with is, around the world. Yeah,
2: well, this is this would be one of those caveat movies where somebody would be like, "Okay, so it's you know, it's
0: still in English, but by <laughs> someone Irish you mean Brett." <laughs> No, Nicole's done it once. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did, and I I might be bringing an Irish film in the near future, as I alluded to you guys. But uh, we watched an Irish movie for new to two. New to two is when one of us picks a movie that the other two have not seen before. And Nicole, it was your opportunity to pick this movie. But before we talk about your pick for new to two, I do want to announce next week's movie. Next week is Netflix Roulette. We spun a wheel, and the Netflix gods spoke, and we are watching 2015's Moonwalkers. This is a movie starring Ron Perlman and Rupert Grint. It's an independent film that you can find on Netflix. So check it out. Follow along with us for next week. Again, that is Moonwalkers. Now, Nicole. We watched a movie called The Commitments. It came out in 1991. Jimmy Rabbit, an unemployed wheeler and dealer with a vision to create the world's hardest working band, holds auditions at his house. This is a story of a tumultuous rise and fall of a Dublin soul band, The Commitments. How come you picked The Commitments for us?
1: Well, I did it honestly, you know, because uh, you do the production end of our podcast and it's a shite load of work and you've been doing it for <laughs> 90 episodes for this particular show and I wanted to give you a gift and this is a movie that I knew, I'd, you know, I swore last week and you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong, but I swore last week if you did not love this movie, not just like it, but love it that I would eat this pop filter. That's right in front of my face right now. (laughs) Do I need to get the salt out
0: as appetizing as that pop filter looks? I have already ordered this movie on (laughs) Blu-ray. So, (laughs) Oh, I I was so, this was so wonderful. I loved it. Thank you, Nicole. Um, and I was shocked. I hadn't seen it before. It's like Irish Eddie and the cruisers, except they don't really get famous. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, it's, it's
1: and no one goes missing.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. And no one dies. And it's not a murder mystery aside from that. <laughs> aside from those small details. Sure. Trusting so, uh, but, but thank you, Nicole. Now, uh, when were you introduced to the commitments as a film? Because you are a purveyor of Irish cinema. You love Irish films. If I am not mistaken,
1: I am because, uh, my aunt Maureen, um, on my mother's side made very sure as i was growing up that i was very familiar with my irish heritage mm-hmm. and uh dragged me to irish festivals and concerts with the clancy brothers and tommy macum and uh you know the dubliners and various other irish bands and she played irish music in her house every sunday um And so I had an affection for Irish music anyway. And when this movie came out, you know, my aunt knew that I loved old soul music and she loved Irish things. And she said, let's go see this movie, which we did. And it took me about 10 minutes to understand what anybody was saying (laughs) as I got used to the accents. And we both absolutely loved it and listened to the soundtrack pretty much nonstop for about a year and a half afterward. Um. So I mean, this movie is is responsible for really stoking my love of old soul and R and B, uh, as well as reappreciating Irish movies that take place in Ireland. I can't one hundred percent say it's an Irish movie because the director is British, but Ooh, um, let's get
2: political here. Yeah.
1: right. <laughs> but I loved this movie. And so I've always, I've always felt a lot of affection for it. I bought the 25th anniversary Blu-ray edition when it came out. Um, And I'm actually kind of curious how David felt about this movie.
2: Okay. Well, if we want to start on that, um, I will say, (laughs) I I didn't, I didn't, I'm going to say some things tonight. that are going to sound like I dislike this movie. And that is (laughs) not true. I enjoyed this movie for how light it was I, yes. I put in our show doc this is the most low stress behind the music you will ever see <laughs> which is more or less my thoughts on it it is a movie about a band that has not not even their 15 minutes of fame they have their five minutes of fame where they start getting their local roots under them and then fall apart there's For the first hour, there is no dramatic tension, but it is still (laughs) enjoyable to watch them put this band together. Then some stuff kind of falls apart, but nothing damning ever happens to anybody in the film. I really did enjoy this movie. I want to make that very clear, but I enjoyed (laughs) it in the way of like, that was a very nice watch, not in like (laughs) the oh, my soul is now changed for this because of this movie. (laughs) If you want something that you were just going to like and the music is good and, you know, you can sink your teeth enough into the characters to track on for the whole two hours. This is a good movie for that.
0: Yeah. And I think you're totally right that it's the most low stress behind the music because you always have these kinds of films, fictional or not whether it's Eddie and the cruisers or something that's auto, you know, it's biographical. There's always dire stakes at some point. And at no point in this movie, are there any dire stakes? Like, sure. They want to get paid. And there's a guy that wants to get paid and will beat Jimmy up for that. But other than that, it's pretty, pretty low stakes.
2: The most dire stakes is that the three women in the band all sleep with the same guy. And that causes a lot (sighs) of drama, entertaining drama, mind you. Uh, but that's like kind of the most dr- – and aside from Deco being a real gobshite,
0: uh, that's kind of the most drama there is. So let's break this down a little bit then because I want to have listeners understand this who don't watch the movie. Jimmy, he wants to start you know, the, the world's hardest working band, which right off the bat is an allusion to James Brown – you know, the hardest working man in show business. He has an affection for James Brown. He shows this band early on the classic images of, you know, James Brown pretending to hurt himself and the, the cowl goes over him and he limps off stage and then he throws it and jumps right back. Um, And that is very clear right from the get go. And he holds these auditions to go through the cycle of these characters. As you start to get introduced to the ones that he does hold on to and the auditions, is where this movie sold me because it is it so funny. funny. He opens up the door. What are your influences? Metallica shuts the door. What are your influences? Wings Harry shuts entrances. the door even harder. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's so absolutely splendid because it just takes a giant dump on all of the music that you know they would take a dump on in the 90s. Because Wings and Led Zeppelin and Metallica, they were all so you cheesy. Too. You too, especially coming from an Irish, you know, setting, it was hilarious. I I just love that about it. By the way, random fun fact. You know the kid that attempts to uh audition for the band through Jimmy's window? Uh, yes. Showed up Oh, because on,
1: Jimmy won't get out of the tub.
0: <laughs> right. That is the kid on the cover of uh what Sunday Bloody Sunday, the record? Oh, for you uh, and
1: war. Oh, war. War and boy, war. actually. Okay, gotcha.
0: So-
2: Two, two things related to that. One, I thought that kid was going to come back. That was perfectly placed for he's going to later rediscover that kid a la High Fidelity when he later finds out the punk kids can actually play music. Uh, <laughs> the second, Jimmy interviewing himself as a device is
0: genius. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Who is Terry that he's talking to? Is this a famous personality I'm not familiar with?
1: I'm I'm sure it is. I did not look it up, but I'm I'm fairly certain that Terry is a uh, fairly well-known chat host in Ireland somewhere. Got it
0: okay, it would have <laughs> been Terry Wogan who hosted the famous BBC program. It, it was an Irish radio program on the BBC called Wake Up to Wogan. Uh, and he was the most listened to radio <laughs> broadcaster in Europe before he quote semi retired in 2009. I don't I don't know why I wake up to Wogan is so funny to me right now. All it's right. real good. No, it, it's a wonderful device. I really do like it. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's kind of funny because Jimmy is so enthralled with the spotlight and the glamour of trying to start a band, but he's definitely that dude that has no talent to start a band. So he has to be the quote unquote manager and get all of his buddies to play the instruments, but still live their lifestyle. He has his head on his shoulder the entire time. He's the only like person
2: with a clear vision, which is the undoing of the entire thing. But he's like so easy to root for. And that's Mm -hmm. so nice.
1: Right. And it's funny because the fellow who plays him, Robert Arkins is a professional musician. Uh, who had never acted before this movie and kind of had to be coached through it. Um, he's the one singing Treat Her Right over the opening and closing credits of the movie. Oh, really? Oh, well, right yeah. on.
0: Interesting. Well, and, and and David, to your point that he is the, the most level head, I, I put in our docket that he's different than your typical movie's music manager. We have the stereotype that we've seen in, gosh darn, every music you know, famous movie where it's the, the scummy manager. And he's just the antithesis of that. He puts himself on the line for the band. He creates opportunities for them. He's finding their gigs. He's putting himself on the line to get their equipment with a guy that's later going to come beat him up because he hasn't paid yet because they haven't made money yet. He's the one that fights to get the money. And he's the one that ultimately educates them shockingly well, uh, what soul music is. And, I found that really refreshing because it was like this dude that just loved the music and he wanted to create the world's hardest working band, even if he couldn't play in it. And, uh, that was just totally different than that style of character I'm used to seeing in a music movie.
2: No, absolutely. I thought that the drama of this movie was going to be that he was looking to kind of place himself at the center of everything, but he was not on stage uh, rather it is the fact that he is not on stage that allows him to be kind of the protagonist of the film in that doesn't really have an antagonist, I guess. I'll oh, no, Deco as an antagonist, that's <laughs> a hundred <laughs> percent Deco. Um, but he is able to kind of keep his, his footing as the one that we, as the audience can side with very easily. And that's really nice.
1: Well, he's the smart one. He knows <laughs> what it's going to take. He's he's the big picture guy. He knows what it's going to take to actually do the work and what steps they need to follow to start to get out of their lives in Ireland. I mean, this was this was made in a period of you know Ireland's economic history where it was in the toilet completely and something like 25% of the young people were out of work um at that time and so there're a massive number of people in employment there's something like 1200 bands in Dublin because well, <laughs> what what else do you do you know and in, in Ireland you don't join the basketball team or the american football team to try to get out of your poor little town you you join a band you know that's how you do something other than unskilled labor for the rest of your life
2: there's somebody at some point in this movie who says you know most uh most bands in dublin don't they only play one gig like to your point that. yeah to your <laughs> point it's like there's you know there's so many bands um Oh, and I and I and I have a hard time bringing up this quote because I can't fully speak it, uh, but it is it is uh, from Blazing Saddles. Just to kind of speak about, like the Irish have had it hard. Like I, I never want to downplay that the Irish have had it hard because <laughs> uh, there's a line from Blazing Saddles that I thought of in this movie, uh, which is I can't say the first half of it uh, for racial stir. Slur- We don't want the black people or the Chinese or no, no, no. It is. We will take the black people and the Chinese, but we don't want the Irish, Uh, which is, you know, at a time of the sort of a, at the turn of the century, which was just like saying that the Irish were on par with these other like racial groups that were really looked down upon. And there's something to. And we got to talk about it when they say that the Dublin's are the black of like the, the northern Dublin's are the black people of Ireland, which is wrong on so many levels, but also in a way. In a way, correct
1: there, I would say it's at least at that time, it would be more accurate to say that the Irish were kind of the the rednecks of Europe.
2: Yeah. Okay, yeah.
1: They were the the poor white trash of Europe, kind of thing is how they were how they were looked upon. That's absolutely not who they were. Thank you very much, Irish pride to <laughs> herself. Um, but you know, this was they were they were the butt of jokes in Europe before the economic revival. You know, they were this poor little country when he when Jimmy says it's third world country. What can you do? You know, it's yeah. not. Too far off. Really
2: walking around that uh that market in the beginning, which has yeah. like horses and like <laughs> people are trading on very common goods, it totally seems like this whole other country than
0: people might think of when they when they envision Ireland in their head. While well, he's also yeah. seemingly selling bootleg band T-shirts, from what I know,
1: like tapes and, t- and yeah. like Two VHS tapes right. and
2: uh, have you guys have you guys seen or read Persepolis no
1: I've yes I've read Persepolis
2: I'm just I, I think of that part when she's walking around the black market and all the guys are like Psst, Michael Jackson <laughs> <laughs> they're selling like, like the boot
0: market tapes it's anyway not neither here nor there just reminded me of that but, but to go back no, to the the, the the meat of this what you brought up David was that you know Jimmy tells them that in order to exude the honesty of soul music they have to talk about sex and the struggles of everyday life and the shitty jobs that they have or don't have and um that is what makes them in his mind uh you know the the, the blacks of Europe in a way as if you know oh, it's it, so awkward to say doesn't it it does and I but I get where he's coming from kind of in the sense that like you know the, the black community in the United States has always been marginalized to, to varying you know, dramatic extents. Um, so I understand what the sentiment is there. It just gets weird when he starts getting them to say, I'm black and I'm proud, which is a James Brown song after they're watching James Brown. Sure. Maybe not for them. <laughs> I love the
2: looks that they all give him when he says that, because like you understand his sentiment, but it's like you, nope, you've gone too far.
1: <laughs> and yeah, then, like, oh, it's worse yeah. in the novella. He actually uses the N word.
0: No, that's not okay. That's
1: not <laughs> no, fun. Roddy Doyle no, was no, trying. No. To
0: well, there's no. one of them, and and for I'm blanking on his name. Maybe it was Dean. Yeah, it was Dean. So Dean is the uh,
1: saxophone player. Is the saxophone, saxophone player,
0: yeah. player who cites Clarence Clements as his inspiration, which probably because it's the only saxophone player he knows the name of. And the guy um, from Madness right and the guy from madness and uh and he he starts like playing and practicing and he's in like a junkyard and this kid comes up to him while he's practicing his solo and he just slowly lowers the saxophone big grin on his face to say i'm black and i'm proud And it's it's the reaction of that kid the reaction of that kid is what makes
2: it work because even this little kid is like what (laughs) <laughs>
0: no,
1: <laughs>
0: that is, what are you talking about? But I will say to, to to soapbox a little bit, as I will throughout this episode. I can appreciate the universal nature of what James Brown is James Brown's music is speaking to for these young people in Ireland who feel margin- marginalized, who feel like they can't get work, who feel like they're in the gutter and they can't get out. Like that, to me, speaks to the power of James Brown's music. Even if maybe they're not, they're not fully comprehending that I'm black and I'm proud. Part of it.
1: Well, Ireland is not exactly a racially diverse country, no. right? <laughs> so it's changing, but slowly. Um, no. So yeah, so their their ex- experience of black life is limited,
0: right? So. <laughs> yes. Now this film is is more of a comedy. But the book that it's based on is more of a, quote, you know, collapse of Dublin's inner city, talking about this urban decay. And, Nicole, you added to that sentiment, saying it's said to reflect not just the Irish sense of humor, but the Dublin sense of humor in particular. So, first of all, yeah. let's talk about that. What's different about Dubliners than the rest of the Irish? Because that's mentioned several times throughout this movie, including the whole, like, um, you know, uh, segregated section of the community part of it.
1: I think it's it's primarily that the Dubliners are the fastest to call you out if you start uh, getting too full of yourself. They'll be the first one to burst that balloon immediately. Um, so that's why they're they're constantly like ragging on each other. Every time that somebody starts getting a little uh, prideful and that's it's an Irish trait in general, but it's it's a lot faster with the Dubliners than anyone else. You know, the Irish don't don't stand much for self-importance as a whole. So I've read um, the commitments as well as his two follow-ups The Snapper and The Van those are known as the Barrytown trilogy uh, that's the neighborhood in Dublin that the rabbits live in is called is called Barrytown in the novel it's a fictional um, area but it is on the north side of Dublin you know Dublin's divided by the River Liffey and there's the north side and there's the south side and the north sider's it's much more um, unskilled labor, much more working class, and the South Side is much more, uh, you know, white collar, um, sort of more middle class uh, people living on that in that area. So it there really is, you know, the North Siders are uh, thought of as the lower class of Dublin, or at least were at that time. And I like how in the ad Jimmy says, you know, includes in. Southsiders need not apply to his <laughs> ad.
0: Right. Now now would this movie be served better by focusing more on on the collapse of Dublin's Inner City as the book seems to? Or do we think it's better that it's in it's in the background and it's fueling some of their decisions, but it's not it's not a
1: I think it's conveyed perfectly well by the, (laughs) you know, the woeful state of the housing estates they live on. I mean, we saw housing estates in Attack the Block um, where it's, you know, these big concrete buildings with these people who are very poor. And, you know, the kids have to play outside and in junky areas in places where if they were set up like that in america you'd have lawsuits every five minutes (laughs) because you know my kid was playing on this exposed wiring or jumping off this metal tube or playing in this concrete drain pipe and hurt themselves you know whereas the the playgrounds that are clearly built for children are built out of this amazingly dangerous stuff (laughs) and you know i think it's it's pretty clear that it's the economy is not doing well just by the environments that they're in. Well,
2: and, and, and there's a, and there's a couple of moments that I greatly appreciate that they don't hammer on too hard. Like I, I also come at a struggle with this movie. So there's the point when Jimmy goes to visit one of the, the singers, I can't remember her name, Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. And you, you get, you get kind of a look into her life and the struggle she is facing. And it is a, it is a nice little moment to flesh out what all of these characters are kind of going through. And there's part of me that it's like, Oh, it'd be nice if we had a movie that was focusing more on that part of it, but also how this movie is kind of escapism for us, the audience and also for like them, for the people in the movie pursuing this band is escapism until it isn't right. And, and is there's
0: something to that, that I that I greatly appreciate. I totally agree, and I think you make a good point. Until it isn't, because there's a great line toward the end of the movie where Joey um, comes to talk to to Jimmy after they've essentially broken up as a band. And what does Joey say? He says something along the lines of it wouldn't it wouldn't have been special if we had gone on to do, you know, big shows and make records. But Yeah, sure is,
1: we could have made albums and
0: Right. But it's special that it's contained to this perfect little bubble of when we made great music as a band. Um because this, as this they do su- get just a mild amount of success, it goes straight to their heads.
2: Yeah, you're missing the point. The success of the band was irrelevant. You raised the expectations of life. You lifted their horizons. Sure, we could have been famous and made albums and stuff, but that would have been predictable.
0: This way, it's poetry. I have a lot of thoughts on Joey. (laughs) Let's talk uh, about Joey. Joey the Lips Fagan. Now, I do want to preface our talk with him saying that this was a role designed for van morrison which i would love to see van morrison try to play this role that would have been an interesting movie alas he did not get it so they ended up using johnny murphy and he's the only person in the movie not playing his own instrument because we'll we'll double back to this but everyone is playing and singing um they were cast largely for their musical ability and then they fine-tuned their acting skills as the movie went on with the exception of, of uh, Johnny Murphy, who is a stage actor. And I think his performance yep. of Joey and the exuberant dramatic nature of his romanticized character perfectly encapsulates <laughs> oh, that he is indeed the only stage actor present.
1: He was well-loved in Ireland. Johnny Murphy, rest in peace, he passed away a few years ago. Um, There's, <laughs> there's a story that they tell on the Blu-ray features that... Uh, Johnny Murphy was just walking down a particular street one day, and this clamor arose from a nearby uh, post office, which in Ireland can also be used as banks. And this group of guys with the masks and shotguns came out, running out of of the post office to their getaway car. And one of them got to the car like, threw his shotgun inside and Johnny's like standing there frozen and terrified at these criminals going past him. And the guy comes back to him, pumps his hand and goes, "Showy the lips. That, <laughs> film ran. that was so great. You know,
2: it, he is the most <laughs> compelling one to watch. And also simultaneously, one of the most frustrating uh, <laughs> outside of, outside of Deco <laughs>
1: is,
0: so why, he why is he so
1: frustrating to you?
2: <sighs> I mean, because that he presumably sleeps with every woman in the band. That yeah. That he just moves, moves I don't know, know that he
1: sleeps women. with Yeah,
2: He might. Yes, that's true. He might not. But it's like, there, there, there is something so... Allu- He's very charismatic. He's very alluring. Yes. But as the longer it goes on, I kind of feel...
0: He's a little bit full of it, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yes. But at like the same it's, it's time, not- there are glimmers of truth to it, right? They they see the back of a record sleeve that shows that he did indeed play on a famous person's album and he says, sure. I played with B.B. King and Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and you half believe him. So he could have been a session musician, you know? And right. there's, the, but there's the point at the end
2: where the, you know, it's like the his mom says he's touring with this guy in North Joe America, Tex. Joe yeah. Tex, but, you know, he died all this time ago. It's, it's a little bit like, uh, there's this character in, uh, Wayne's world Two who is this roadie that they team up with, who was like this roadie for the, you know, these famous bands. And he kind of ends up telling the same stories over and over and over again. And it's like, at first he's fascinating and interesting, but as time goes on, you're like, oh, okay. You, you it, it, the 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 whole shtick runs out,
0: right?
1: Yeah, the stories get a little too practiced. Yes, you know he's a Joey's a frustrating character because he is so charismatic and you do pretty well like him, and he takes on the role of mentor to several people in the band, but the then band. he also takes advantage of that position. Yes, and that's not cool. Yeah, and he's, and you, you know, twice the age of most of the people in the band. I mean, he really was. He was in his in his mid to late forties at the time, and most of the rest of the cast are around twenty years old. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and there's also the the enigmatic nature of him. As we discussed, we don't know whether or not he actually played on everything he said he did or had all these experiences. He surely didn't have Elvis Uh, hand clean his trumpet for him i don't think that was probably true (laughs) but uh you do have like the introduction to him in this movie which is him telling that i came home i came home to take care of my old sickly mother and then god told me to come join your band and and then he leaves as as david said to go play with joe tex who is dead (laughs) um the mom thinks he's off playing with Joe Tex, who died in the early 80s. Uh, so you you wonder where he went, right? I want to know where Joey went. And and I don't and I don't doubt that he
2: played on maybe some of these albums, but he could have straight up just been a guy that was like, Okay, we need someone to play trumpet. Because a lot of albums and it maybe you know, a little bit more back in the day, but as time has gone on, tracks are recorded separately and then all mixed together. So he could have just been a guy where it's like, hey, we just need trumpet on this track. Well, I know a guy. So he could have played and never have met half of the people he ever claimed to have met.
0: Well, there's right. there's a great scene in the movie where um, where Glenn Hansard's character, and we're going to talk about that soon. I'm excited for that. But Glenn Hansard's <laughs> character is, is talking with Jimmy. And he's starting to express to Jimmy that he doesn't really think that that Joey knows what he's talking about. And Jimmy says, no, man, he played with the Beatles. You know, all you need is love. Do, 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 do with that trumpet. That was him. That came out in 1967. Uh, like, just saying it out loud, he doesn't even realize that there's no way it's true. This is a movie that happens in 1990. Um and it just adds to this weird enigmatic aura around Joey that makes him frustrating, but just maybe the most fun performance of the movie. Absolutely. So let's talk about another performance of the movie, Glenn Hansard. Glenn Hansard. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, so he starred in this film the same year he started The Frames, um, which is you know one of the more iconic uh, l- early 90s through the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, rock groups from Ireland. And uh, some of the band members actually appear in the film, particularly in the uh, in the audition scenes. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Glenn because I find it very fascinating. I think he's one of the more talented people in, in the music industry as a whole. I think he's an incredible songwriter. I was shocked to see him in this because Talk about a little bit of a glow up, as I told you guys earlier, because he looks really wiry and and geeky in this movie with his ridiculous hair. And at least he's, he's 20 kinda, years
1: old. What do you right, want? <laughs> right.
0: But but he, he's grown into something so so different. And I love that this movie put a bad taste in his mouth for, for movie making. He didn't enjoy it. And he felt that it inhibited him to start the frames the way he wanted to. And years later, decade and a half later. He goes and makes once, which ends up winning uh, Academy Awards. And I just find his journey through both music and film fascinating because he's one of those Irish personalities that not a lot of people know who he is, but they've heard a lot of oh. his music. And he's incredibly influential in Irish music as a whole.
2: Yeah. Not a lot of people here know who he is in America. I would bet right. in Ireland, there's he's probably got more of a presence.
0: Yeah. And he's and, you know, he uh, my my soon be father-in-law went and saw him two months ago here in Chicago at Chicago Theater here, which is, you know, a big venue. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. he's he does well here in the U.S. But uh, have you guys seen once? I have not. No, have you, Nicole?
1: No, nor have I. That's um, I've certainly I've listened to the soundtrack many times. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great soundtrack. And the music is fantastic. Uh, he's got this style that's that's very much uh, that raspy wail of a man whose heart has been torn out and stuffed back in and torn out again uh, um, over and over again, apparently. So. No, as, as you do. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a folk as troubadour. One does.
0: He, he's a folk tr- yes. tr- troubadour through and through. And, it's a, it's um, a
1: very folk, folk-flavored folk uh, style that he has
0: well, well the, the couple things I, d- I did briefly want to say though is that is that a um in once he plays he plays a vacuum repairman who is a busker at night um <sighs> trying to get his big break and there's That's been some, some fun awesome movie well yeah because th- then he like falls in love with 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 this Czech immigrant and they you know um they do this collaborative about their love and it's a beautiful movie but it's funny to me because this movie ends when they all break up and then his character goes back to busking on the street which is how the and by the way happened in real life uh Glenn Hansard spent much of his early youth busking uh street performing for you Americans and uh then <laughs> They
1: call it busking here too, Brad. Do they yeah. really?
0: <laughs> no, they do. Yes. I've never heard anyone say that.
1: <laughs> you have to get a busker's license to perform on the street here the in Salem. The more Zama. you know.
2: Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to throw this out. I want to throw this out for for people like me. Uh, one of the greatest things ever in the world is that one of the original Pink Ranger lost a bet and had to busk in her old Pink Ranger <laughs> costume. And for a lot of people like me, whose first love is Amy Jo Johnson, go look up the pictures. <laughs> it's worth it.
0: <laughs> well, well. in any case, there there is a... a conspiracy theory amongst Glen hansard movie fans that believe that it's the same character <laughs> how many they, of them are there they yeah. believe it's the same character because
1: they believe it, it's still outspan yeah they yeah. believe it's
0: outspan <laughs> because outspan ends his movie busking and starts once busking um so that oh, i wanted okay. to throw out there
1: i can't sure. deny
0: that busking in dublin no less uh so i i wanted to mention that but i also wanted to mention that um, one thing I find really cool about this for someone who really enjoys Glenn Hansard and, and enjoys his music is that what I found most delightful about this movie is it allowed me to just kind of see a fun, different side of a really young artist um, in a supporting role. He's not the main focus of the movie by any means, but just to see someone like that young and having fun in this movie and knowing what he will eventually turn into is really cool to me that makes this movie even more special because it does help jumpstart his career when people love this soundtrack. Um, and that I just think is, is neat. And I'll throw in a Bob Dylan thing. When Bob Dylan saw once in 2007, he, he hired Glenn as his opening act for that, for that tour, uh, because he loved the movie so much. So in any case, off my soapbox, about how much I enjoy Glenn's music. I think it's <laughs> I think it's cool to see his journey through music. And Nicole, were you at all, you know, you're probably more familiar with him. I don't think David knew who he was before this week.
1: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd certainly heard of Glenn Hansard and listened to his music before. And, you know, but I, like I said, I saw this movie when it came out. So I was yeah, just yeah. like, oh, that's the guy from The Commitments. Okay. You know, I had not heard of The Frames until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but I had. It's funny. He was one of the two people who appeared in the movie with permission of their record companies. Mm-hmm. Um, he already had a contract. It was him and Maria Doyle, uh, who plays Natalie in the movie. She was in uh, the Black so, Velvet Band.
2: So good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was
1: in the Black Velvet Band at the time, and she had been in Hothouse Flowers, which is one of the tapes a girl on the bus asks for. Uh, in the beginning of the movie when jimmy's <laughs> on the bus selling his stuff yeah. so it's funny in that scene jimmy's selling the hothouse flowers tape uh to one girl and the boy asks for mississippi burning which is directed by alan perker <laughs> yeah <laughs> so let's be, talk like,
0: about that oh but no david go ahead first
2: I just really like when, you know, he goes to this market and he's not able to sell his wares and then he goes and gets on this bus and people are suddenly very interested in what he has to sell. I don't know. It was just it was a really nice little scene that shows he's not totally down on his luck. He's just playing to the wrong crowd, which I think is kind of a little bit of a theme of this movie.
1: Yes. That's finding your audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and it is. be willing to put in the work. So, and I mean, that's, the, I think it's a great way to open this movie is him walking through, you know, the open air. It's, it's basically like a flea market. Um, That is probably something that happens every weekend in that area. And it gets you number one, you immediately see the financial state mm-hmm. that most of the people who live here are living in. You get, Immersed in music immediately, he passes three different street musicians on his way to the bus. Um, And then, you know, when he gets on the bus, people are demanding his, you know, his music and his stuff. And it just gets you the setting immediately. You know, you know what kind of person Jimmy is. You, you know what his work ethic is like. Even though he's not, he's not going for a regular job. He's been drawing unemployment no. for two years. Yeah. <laughs> two years. Are you telling me you can't get a job? It's like, third world country. What can you do? What you can know? you do? just completely yeah whatever you know blase about it
2: and i I love that when he runs into one of the band members who was like it's so much better to be a an unemployed musician than an unemployed pipe layer it's like (laughs) yeah unemployed musician sounds typical it feels like that's what you should be as a musician a little bit
1: (laughs) well yeah and it feels more aspirational you know that's the The whole point is like what what Jimmy, what um, Joey says at the end is, you know, you you raised their expectations of life. That's what this whole movie is about is these these kids looking for something better and looking for things to look forward to. You know, looking to to something light and happy in their lives where they feel like they're making a, a contribution and getting some kind of reward for it. You know, they're, they're feeling good about how well they're doing and they, the crowd response that they're getting.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I also wanted to mention as, as you mentioned, Mississippi burning, um, which was <laughs> a film of Alan Parker's, uh,
1: and a weird thing for a 12 year old to be asking for. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, the phone, Gene Hackman, um, in, uh, You'd think it'd be it,
1: after, you know, The Wall. You could have gone for Pink Floyd well, that's the, the Wall, thing. Is which that, so Alan they, Parker also directed.
0: So they mention The Wall in this movie. They mention yep. Midnight Express. They yep. sing the opening lines of fame. Um, <laughs> and there's just a lot of weirdly self referential stuff. And normally that would kind of pull me out of it if it was a director whom I was familiar with. But I think because I'm not all that familiar with Alan Parker, I kind of found it more delightful than annoying. Delightful yeah. is a good way to phrase this movie, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I agree. I agree. Now, I, I put in our docket, and I'd and love everyone's thoughts on this. So I have experience here as being the person who's regularly the youngest person in the audience. Um, becoming less so, now there's people younger than me, but... There's a huge span of my youth where it's like I'm going to see people like uh, you know Bob Dylan and, and Van Morrison and all these people. And I'm the youngest person in the crowd by a country mile uh, by by choice. Uh, and I found it interesting that the commitments or Wilson Pickett, who is performing on the same night as them in Dublin and who is supposed to come jam with them at the end of the movie because Wilson Pickett allegedly knows Joey turns out he did uh i don't think allegedly well well, he's going to the club at the end so it seems that wilson pickett knew joey and was just late Mm -hmm. uh Mm. i I don't know but in any case i guess my question is is that would a soul band in 1990 draw as young and excited of an audience and maybe it's the area maybe it's because it's such a downtrodden area with nothing to do exciting because my like I just don't think that would jive with with young american kids in 1990. I just don't. Um, well, it's I mean, it's I think it's so dependent on location
1: because
2: mm-hmm. going to see live music was such a thing to do, was such a big deal that I I totally believe that people would be excited about, you know, there there is something to the way that 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 Rabbit describes it of, you know, it is the sound of sex. It is the sound of the factory. It is the sound of the common man that I think would totally resonate with a crowd like there was in Dublin in 1991. And I want to take a second too to just counter slightly. Uh, if you listening audience, I'm speaking directly to you right now and to your ears. If you are in Phoenix or find yourself in Phoenix at some point, go to Char's Has the Blues, which is uh, a small little venue which plays blues, soul, R&B, funk. They don't care who you are, what you're wearing, what you look like.
0: If you want to prove Brett wrong, go to Char's (laughs) Has the Blues. And And no, don't get me wrong. Like I... I'm a huge advocate for this music and I love this music, but as someone who has you know, grown up, if you think about the proximity of this music to the movie, you're looking at between anywhere between the sixties, cause they're playing stuff like, you know, Otis Redding and, and Wilson Pickett and, and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. And then it kind of transcends into some of the seventies Motown and that sort of stuff. Take me to the river, Al Green. Um, and, uh, and even some fifties, Mustang Sally's in there. But in any case, like if you were to look at now, that to my generation, that would be the music of the eighties. And I know that for sure, having been to a Which lot of concerts. Which is hugely
1: popular.
0: But not amongst <laughs> my generation. If I go to a concert that is of a of an eighties band and I've been to a great many, it's that's not the demo. The demo is not younger people, so maybe it is you know part of the fact that they're in a very small town with not a lot to do and and don't get me wrong, I'm, I love that this movie has all sorts of people jam into these songs because it has a killer killer soundtrack that can expose people to stuff like Wilson Pickett and Notice Redding and all these great 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 songwriters and great performers and that makes me super super happy. Um, I just don't know if it would with the young Americans if they'd feel
1: the same well a it's Dublin. Which right, is a exactly. hugely music intensive city. It's not that big. It's like a million people. Um, you know, so for a city, it's that's a capital of the country. It's not that big. Um, but it, there's also the pub culture, you know, right? It's what you yes. do not just every Friday, but nearly every night of the week, you go out to the pub and you hang with your friends and you listen to whoever's playing there. And so that's that's where the young people are in the evenings. So, you know, yeah, there's going to be you're going to have a crowd basically no matter what you're playing, but this right, particular right. music did have some appeal, you know, it was recognizable. It was Oh, and it's very danceable. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. people really, you know, get into it and can move to it.
2: And I, and I will I will just say if you have never just looked up a band that is playing near you that you don't know a lot about and just gone to their show, like, it's pretty great. Yeah, like, it I'm can a, be. I mean, it can be pretty <laughs> bad. It can be, it can be terrible. It can be terrible. But also then you'll have a story to tell. You know, if it's right. sub $5 to get in. Uh, but the couple of times that I've done it, you know, I've discovered a band that I
0: never thought that I I, I never would have before. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it's hit miss, but more often than not, you'd be happy you did. I highly encourage people to check out their local music. Um, <laughs> I will say that of all the performances in this movie, and I love them, they're great. Uh, dark end of the street, it can be really moany and cringeworthy, and this movie has it very moany and <laughs> cringeworthy. It it sounds what? like oh, it's like <laughs> Linda Ronstadt's version where it's like oh. <laughs> and don't get me wrong heart like a wheel is a great record but her version of dark end of the street is like do we need to be any more melodramatic um give me give me rye any day but wow. uh, oh
1: my god yeah i like i said in. i saw this yeah <laughs> i saw this in the theater and he he's they're singing dark end of the street and he launches into the the chorus of they're going to find us and he's <laughs> you know powerhousing through this and i got chills i got goose pimples up my arms <laughs> you know i mean this i thought it was amazing that's it's my favorite it's my favorite performance in the movie
0: yeah it might just be that I find the song a little corny. <laughs> um I I do like I don't, I like Aretha's version of it. I like Cooter's version of it a lot. Linda Ronstadt doesn't do much for me. Um I think my favorite performance in this movie might be when uh who's the middle backup singer? The one that was actually a real singer in real life?
1: Probably.
0: Natalie, Natalie doing Art. what
1: chain of fools or uh, she does I
0: never loved a man and I uh, never oh, and loved
1: a man, yeah. She,
0: she's so good in this movie. Really and rocks yeah, I never is. loved a man. Yeah. So
1: she is. So and she, we've seen her before uh on this show. She played oh, Jupiter's mother no. in Jupiter no. Ascending.
2: Yes, I hate it, <laughs> but I knew that. Uh, yeah. she's
1: got a she's got a solid acting career.
2: Yeah, she's she's got so has um uh, one of the other, the other singers, the one that played Imelda, uh, not so much in the States necessarily, but, you know, yeah, at least Angeline, a few years. Ago,
1: Angeline was, Ball's done well. Uh, Brona Gallagher's had a solid career as well. She appeared in uh, Pulp Fiction a few years after this movie.
0: Wearing oh. a Frames t-shirt in the movie. <laughs>
1: I did not realize yeah, that. Yeah, Paul she plays Bitchen. like the the best friend of Eric Stoltz's girlfriend, the one who gets all excited when he gets the big needle out. Yep. <laughs> so, um, but looking, but looking. I would like to. I didn't put it in the. I didn't put it in the show notes, but I did want to talk about the the casting of this movie a bit. Yeah, because you know Alan Parker did go for musicians and held uh, open auditions and Mm. saw something like 3,000 musicians during the audition process. Uh, So, you know, they're narrowing it down and narrowing it down, and they had, like, three people picked out for the lead singer role, and he ended up getting cast almost by accident. Um, You know, this fellow named... Rob Strong was a session musician and was helping Alan Parker. He was trying to pick out songs and basically find out what it would sound like if a white guy sang them. Sure, uh, huh. So he's, you know, Rob Strong was it was singing some of these songs for him. And at some point he was he had I think he had to do something else during a couple of them. And he's like, well, let my kid get up there and he can sing. Let him sing a couple for you. And Andrew Strong got up on stage and started singing and that just blast of sound came out of him and everybody in the room's jaws hit the floor. And so they were like, that's, that's him. That's him. We're going (laughs) to have, you know, they had to do a little extra work with him for acting. Uh, skills but they had a long rehearsal period um so when Andrew strong was cast and he was 16 when they cast him
0: no way really
1: he's 17 years old in this movie
0: wow okay and he he, he canceled he <laughs> handles himself really well
1: yeah you can tell he's untrained you know partly by the faces that he's making. Uh, While he's singing, and partly because you know, while they were filming, he he'd blow out his voice on a regular basis, and only be able to do a certain number of takes before he was like done. Um. So. Uh, but you know, it's his the the you know, where are they now? That kind of is a downer. Because he's he's still singing and he's still performing in Ireland, but he had all this potential, and I guess his personality was a little too similar to Deco's personality. Oh um, mm, no! <laughs> so he, you know, he toured with some big acts for a couple of years, and then he he fizzled out pretty quickly.
0: Oof!
1: Yeah, yeah. I think Glenn, such shame.
0: Glenn got the best out of any of the. The folks in terms of pursuing both a career probably in in music and
1: pursuing music. I mean, um, Phelim Gormley is the fellow who played Dean. He's still touring around Ireland and playing in Ireland. Nice. Um,
0: Cole Maney, of course, still plays. A mean Elvis impersonator on the strip if you ever want to get married (laughs) in Vegas. Can we talk about Cole Meany in this?
1: Oh, he's an an MVP. Cole (laughs) Meany,
2: I'm so disappointed for the second half of this movie, he's not really in it. Because when he's in it in the first half, he's great. He has this line where he's like, uh, when, when they're first putting the band together, he's like, oh, you two better watch out.
0: <laughs> no,
1: he says, bitch, bitch, you two are shitting themselves.
0: Yes,
1: that's, <laughs> that's it. That killed me.
0: By the uh, way, we, we were talking earlier, and one of you mentioned it might have been the second time we've seen him because we saw him in Layer Cake. And then I realized, yeah. Nay, it's the third time. He's in Con Air.
1: Oh, God. Is <laughs> he? <laughs> yes. He's so. like the jerky government guy. Right.
2: Oh. No. <laughs> They he's funny. He's the guy that John murder, like, Cusack works okay. for. Does he get blown up in the in the cell? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that makes
1: sense. So yeah, and I mean, uh, let's see, Dick Ooh, Massey. The car. It's the car. <laughs> the car yeah. blows up. Yeah. So yeah, Dick Massey and Ken McCluskey, who played Billy Mooney and Derek Scully, actually played together a lot, uh, and have been playing off and on in Ireland since then. So, you know, it's, uh, Robert Arkins is still making music. Um, Stephen Ahern went away from music. He's the guy who plays Stephen, the piano.
2: Well, that makes um, sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he was the one who was going to play a doctor. Um, and he's now an engineer for Dublin's Department of Transportation. He's a traffic coordinator. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> some people cool. credit him as creating some of Dublin's biggest traffic jams. <laughs> so, Lovely. Yes. And it's funny, though, how much they they all still look pretty much the same, just a little more worn around the edges. (laughs) Andrew, Andrew Strong just doesn't have hair anymore on the top of his head. So.
0: Right on. on. (laughs) Well, um, as we close up, uh, one one final anecdote I do want to throw in is I was thinking about the discussion we had five minutes ago. (laughs) I've been thinking about it the past five minutes and it was about um, the, you know, the people listening to this type of music at that time period and whether or not young people be interested into it. Um, It does remind me that in 1982, if I was ever to bring a a straight on concert film to to the table for us, which I would not do, but if I was to, I would bring stop making sense and, uh, and stop making sense. The highlight of that movie is Take Me to the River uh, in 82 with, with David Byrne the whitest of white men, uh, doing, <laughs> doing an unbelievable Al Green cover. Um, that's one of the best pieces of the talking heads catalog. So, so there's, but there's it's in
1: his own style, oh, which yeah. <laughs> I like, which it, is what you do. You know, what you often should do. Yeah. This with- movie's
0: more faithful to the renditions and, and they were, you know, it doesn't take a ton of creative liberties and that's totally fine. Um, the talking heads take all of the creative liberties, but it does remind me that like, you know, when you spin this in the right, in the right fashion, in the right place with the right people, um, this is just great music that anyone can get into, and uh, and I love this movie so much for it. So, do we have any other discussion topics before we wrap up? No, I think uh, <laughs> you know, and, that's, and that's like and, and that's
2: not me being like there's nothing else to say on this movie. I think I've said you know what what I'm gonna say on the film.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's <laughs> it's just a good, it's just fun. It's a fun movie. Uh, it's the movie that uh, set a record in Ireland for the number of curse words said in one movie. <laughs> oh, I
0: believe. Yeah, many, well, many now, more than there are minutes in the movie.
1: Yeah, and many more than there are in the script. A lot of those were kind I'm of thrown surprised. in by the, by the actor by the well non actor actors most of them. Um, the women actually had all acted before, no. so which I think you can tell you know, they seem a little more I confident. I agree with
2: that a little bit, yeah. Yeah, they um, definitely
1: do. But, oh gosh, what was I going to say? Um, no, it's a, it's a good example of how the you can be your own worst enemy. <laughs> it's just that, you know, their success was destroyed because they couldn't get out of their own way yeah. and just you know brush off the personality conflicts and be like, uh, you know that's just Deco being Deco, whatever. They just couldn't do it, you know. Um, it's too much too much pride. Um, and the other <laughs> interesting skill that all of the uh, all of the girls demonstrate at one time or another is uh, chewing gum while singing.
0: Doesn't work that if well you,
1: if yeah, but if you watch every single sequence where they're singing, at least one of them is chewing gum when she's not actively singing,
0: yeah, that is true. Oh,
1: it's I wonder if it was because they're all smokers or something, and it had been too long.
0: Yeah, right <laughs> maybe uh, i I, th- I think my final comment is is my my call to action for the listeners, which is, even though this is an Irish movie that's rooted in American music, I would highly encourage you to go check out The Irish Musicians. Um, people like Len Hansard. He has a wonderful discography that includes you know, stuff with the frames for a decade and a half. And there's some great, great music in that. I think his most recent record is really good. I think it's a tough listen because the song's are like seven minutes long, but they're really good. Um, you know, go listen to the Clancy Brothers and the Dubliners and, um, you know... Don't shit on
1: Doyle and the Black Velvet Band. Right,
0: Uh, I, I do think this movie's hilarious in that it takes like five or six shots across the bow at Chine O'Connor. Um <laughs> oh yeah. We're which, Leon. which I found very amusing, but at the same time, also think she's a very talented woman. Check her out too. You know? Um you've probably heard U2. Expand beyond U2. There's so much great Irish music. And uh and this movie is just a kind of little hint of, you know, of that in a way so that that would be my encouragement for the audience is go go listen to glenn hansard and you know the clancy brothers but that'll do it for myself david nicole uh we are going to be back next week with netflix roulette watching moonwalkers is that the title yep. of the yes. movie moonwalkers that's, i got it right, right the first time uh david where can people find you online Find me around
2: the internet under the username Davluz. That is Uh, D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. I'm also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast.
0: Right on. And what about you, Nicole? Where can people find you online?
1: I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. I have a letterbox page that I need to go update like right now. (laughs) Uh, That's Nicole underscore Davis. And that's pretty much it for the moment.
0: Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find all of these links and more at social.mgrpodcast.com. Email the show. Hi, hi, at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. And finally, rate us on Apple Podcasts. We do want your ratings. We want to hear what you have to say. Good or bad, hopefully good. But let us know. The numbers are there. We know you are out there. So go download it. I know it's a pain in the butt. Believe me, I hate doing it too, but I do it for podcasts I love because it really does help us get even more of you into the fold, which you you know what that means. It makes you did this to us even more fun every five weeks, um, which, of course, if you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, great place to stay updated on that. But we'll see you next week with Moonwalkers.